Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Thursday night, man. Back Thirsty old Thursday. Huh? Thirsty Thursday, buddy. We back at it again. Back at it again. It's Thursday. I think we can say Brian Summer is officially here. I don't know. How I think so. I think so. Today. We had a weekend there of rain and some some cooler weather weather, but uh, it turned around for us. I think we're looking pretty good, man. Absolutely. I mean, this weekend looks great. Going to be like mid eighties. You know, probably hit the pool up one day. You know, get the kids outside, have a lot of good fun. What about you? Oh, hold on. Congratulations, Brian. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Folks, Brian this week put a contract on a house, something he has been, he and his wife and his family have been working for last really year, man. And you texted me like, I'm already like doing this. I'm like, Ooh, Brian, we get to design your man cave. <laughs> got the man cave. We got the double deck on the back. So I'm pumped. Um, it's going to be a, going to be a good time once we finally get in there. So closing, Probably by the end of the month, so looking forward to it, buddy. Awesome. Well, folks, tonight uh, we're actually bringing on a special guest. Mike McDaniel from the Sons of Saturday is going to be joining us here in just a second, and we're going to be looking at the Hokie depth chart, giving it some grades, talking through it with Mike about where what we're seeing, what he's seeing for this upcoming 2021 season. So without further ado, let's have Mike come on. Hey Mike, how you doing tonight? What's up, boys? Uh, we are we are having a good Thursday here. Good, uh, like I said, we got, got got some drinks, enjoying the uh, the nice weather we've had today. How about you? Got my bourbon just for the occasion, gentlemen. Yes, sir. There we go, Mike. That's what we like to hear. Mike, currently good things with your Boston teams today. The Sox took care of Houston five to one. Bruins up one nothing. I got that in the Islanders on the TV here. Me too. Not a fun day. Not a fun week for basketball. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, don't even. Don't even get me started, man. It was a. It was a brutal season for my Celtics. I was hoping that they'd put something together in the playoffs, and then they, before the first series happens, they're like, "All right, Jalen Brown's out for the year." I'm like, "All right, well, we don't have a prayer against the Nets." And then all year, they have Kemba Walker resting on the second night of back to backs, and they were like, "All right, this is so he'll be ready for the playoffs and he won't be hurt." And lo and behold, he gets hurt in the playoffs. I'm like, man, if they had just played him <laughs> on the second night of back-to-backs, we'd probably avoid the Nets in round one. But There you go. Um, yeah, all hell broke loose. Ainge retires, and Brad Stevens is now president of basketball ops, which I'm not even sure he's even qualified for. So total mess. I have no idea what's going to happen. And they just put a complete bomb to it once, <laughs> once everything went south, man. Oh, yeah. I just... I'm a diehard Celtics fan, so it was a really hard season for me. So wait a second. Is the uh so the Kendrick Perkins is the fake thing? I saw that oh, yeah. like is Perkins even coaching? Immediately immediately checked to see if the account was fake because I was like, wait a second, Kendrick <laughs> Perkins no, this is not this Red not definitely is not qualified for basketball ops. He's hired Kendrick Perkins as head coach. So Mike is not only drinking bourbon just to have us a good time tonight. He's he's so, he's soaking a little misery. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's uh, been waiting all week for that drink, boys. There we go. It's all of us, man. I mean, hey, but hey, like I told Brian before, we you joined us. Summer is here. Oh yeah, it's your here. fans are already on, Mike. Your fans are already. It's here. Right, well, <laughs> a little force, boys. 
full force. Full force. There we go. We launched almost to the day before the first game kicks off. And tonight, as I said just a few minutes ago, guys, we're going to be going through essentially the Hokie depth chart. And we're going to be giving our ratings one through eight of one being the lowest confidence, eight being the highest confidence of where we feel, um, all three of us. And then we're going to talk about it, look at depth, things I see, things Brian sees, obviously things Mike sees. And um, let's let's jump right into it. And let's start with the literally most important position for the Hokies, you know, really since 1995. Let's start with the quarterback. Um, Mike, I'm going to let you have the honor since you are wearing your titleist hat there. One through eight, what's your confidence level, first of all, for the quarterback room depth-wise? All right. Well, I mean, this a lot of this depends on – you know, the health of Braxton Burmeister, because if he gets hurt, <laughs> confidence plummets. And it's not if, it's when, boys, right? Like, <laughs> um, I, you foresee I a lot of quarterback powers? <laughs> Man, I get it. Like, I get it. They're trying to put weight on him, and, you know, they he wants to be, you know, in a better spot health-wise so that he can, you know, carry a brunt of the load at the quarterback position. And we know Brad Cornelson loves to run his quarterbacks. I just... Uh, man, I, I am nervous about it, man. I'm nervous about it. I just – I think Burmeister is a capable quarterback. You know, I, I think when he was healthy towards the end of last year, we saw what he was capable of. Certainly had a really good game against UVA. Um, he's very athletic, can run very well. I was surprised at how well he threw the ball um, the last couple times we saw him last year. And I'm willing to chalk up the beginning of the year and his struggles to – you know, one being kind of thrown into the fire, too. We knew he was banged up. Um, he was banged up in fall camp, and then he's playing a bit hobbled and thrown into kind of a tough situation there. And you know what? I think this was honestly Justin Fuente's quarterback going into the year last year. It's not something I believed at the time, um, but it's something that, you know, as, as the year went on, you know, I feel like if, if Burmeister was a little bit more healthy, uh, I, I think that Fuente would have considered going back to him earlier than he did. Um, Hendon Hooker did not have a good year last year, and I loved Hendon Hooker. I look when Burmeister was playing early, and you know it was clear he wasn't right. I was thinking, man, it, we got to get Hooker back. And then, you know, understood that with the COVID and everything else, you know, that was the reasoning behind him not playing early in the year. And I, I just, I, I like Burmeister. I, I think he has an opportunity to play well if he's able to stay on the field. I give this a confidence of like a four, though, like right in the middle, because I feel like there there is upside there. But I am very concerned because the depth is just not where it needs to be. Um, Knox Kadem, admirable effort against Clemson. He's not a power five quarterback, at least not in the starting capacity. Connor Blumrick wasn't even a quarterback at A&M. I, I don't know what they're even doing there he can't be really considered a legitimate depth piece in my opinion I mean he wasn't playing quarterback in A&M he was moving all around the field A&M didn't see him as a quarterback I get they had Kellen Mond but you know if he's not even capable of a backup role there why is he a backup at Virginia Tech and Taj Bullock is a true freshman like yeah they're not gonna throw a true freshman in the fire especially one that wasn't here for spring practice it wasn't like Bullock was an early enrollee if yeah. he was, I could see them maybe turning to him. Um, but the fact that he's not coming on campus until really like right now makes it really hard for me to imagine that he has a role. Plus, he's a little bit raw. You know what I mean? And, you know, 
Josh Jackson, you guys remember um, when Fuente first got here, Josh Jackson came in and was a legitimate contender for a starting quarterback as a true freshman, um, you know, with Gerard Evans. And there was an opportunity for him to for him to play early. Obviously, he did play early as a redshirt freshman earlier than I think we all thought because we didn't think Evans was coming. Uh, was going to come in and then leave after a year. But, um, you know, Fuente is not afraid to play young guys. I just don't think Bullock is going to be in that situation to play early. So it's it's going to be dicey if and when Burmeister gets hurt because his track record of staying healthy is obviously not very good. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually a little more pessimistic than you at this position, and it starts and ends with Braxton Burmeister's health. Yeah, because as much as we run the football with the quarterback, quarterback powers, other design runs, and then <clears throat> some of our uh, uh, play calling in the passing game gives the opportunity for the quarterback to take off a lot. So I just I, do, I don't feel comfortable about his health, and I feel zero confidence with pretty much everybody behind him more than you know, spot duty to like finish a game or something like that. I feel like Doc's could to do okay in that capacity, but I, if he's starting more than one game, I mean, it's a wrap. I mean, that's that, that that's not what you want to see. I'm giving that that that's going to be my lowest grade is the grade one there solely because I don't trust Braxton's health and I feel like we don't have anything to inspire confidence behind him. What are we going to do? Um, that I, I'm I'm with Brian. It's a one. The, the, we're, <laughs> we're not, we're, we're going to have to literally go triple option offense if Braxton gets hurt and run the ball 65 times a game. And You're saying Connor Blumler run, run the show from look, the- yes, <laughs> look, listen, listen, listen. The only reason I gave it a grade as high as I did is because I'm thinking optimistically saying he'll start more than we expect. If that's okay. not the case... Which You're saying he at least gets a time. full eight games. You're saying at least a full eight games. A full eight games. Give me, give me two-thirds of the schedule. <laughs> And let's hey that guys we would take that wouldn't we? Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean yeah. Come on, considering now. this situation, yeah, I I take a full eight games and maybe you know at least half of two others. Yeah, if he only misses two full games, we can deal with that. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> low low confidence. Though. Low he, confidence. Yeah, the, the, we're 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 super low confidence because it's nothing behind it. Braxton himself, you to, if you told me Braxton played twelve games fully healthy. At the levels we saw him near the end of last year, I feel super good about the room. Definitely. What I don't feel, what I don't feel confident in is if you guys both mentioned it, it's our propensity to how we run the quarterbacks. You can't, A, you can't run Braxton in general because he's not built like Gerard or Josh or Hendon or Quincy. He is a smaller built guy, fast. Don't get me wrong. Like I think I remember the first time he pulled in that NC State game. He took down that left side. It was just like, whoa! Like he's like not only has he made that decision quickly, but when he gets his third step, he's gone. It's not a build up. You know, Quincy it had to be a build up. Hendon was about a five step guy, but it's it's the Connor Blumrick thing. Like how hard they went after it. Seemed it made no sense. Like. You needed to be finding someone at a lower power five or a lower power five level or a G five level that had started some games to be. Yeah. And it's, it's the biggest, not me and Brian talk about it a lot. Sometimes on air, sometimes off the roster management of this staff in general is terrible. Yep. It's terrible. And as we get into some of these other 
spots, probably all three of us, where we're ranking our confidence, you're going to see that reflect. So I so, think we're going to get to it at the very next one, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, we are. So, we are. We're the quarterback room. Optimistic Mike at a four. Pessimistic Curtis and Brian at a one. Optimistic. <laughs> The craziest part about that is my optimism is like our middle grade, you know. Like, <laughs> that's that's where the optimism. Best case lies. scenario. Hey, <laughs> I'm an I'm an optimistic guy, but I'm a thousand percent with you guys as far as what the concerns are. There's no doubt about that. By the way, for for the listeners and for you guys, you wonder what I was doing with the towel, Mike. Your statement made me spit my beer out. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was trying to clean it up here off the desk. Getting right, started so, early. Exactly. All right, so let's go next. Let's take a look at the offensive line room. Um, Mike, I am going to kick this to Brian because, A, Brian is our resident offensive lineman here. Brian, what's your confidence grade on this? Uh, Just behind quarterback at a two. And it could have been a one if we would have had any semblance of a backup quarterback. Um, I feel okay about potentially the first five guys we have. Meaning Tanuta, Lester Smith, probably Johnny Jordan, some combination of Brock Hoffman and Silas Ansey at right guard tackle, depending on where they end up flopping them. Um, beyond that, like zero confidence, absolute no confidence. Uh, you got Jesse Hansen, who we haven't really heard a lot from, kind of has. Not, I wouldn't say underachieved, but hasn't really hit the potential I think some people thought for him. You got two young guys in Parker Clements and Caden Moore, and then you got Bob Schick coming in um, as a uh, as a JUCO. And outside of that, like it's just it's just some guys. Like it's scary hours, and and even that second line is 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 a scary thought more than like a as we said with quarterback more than having to you know, finish out a game or maybe have a, uh, a plug start for somebody, some guy that goes down for one game. Like anything more than one game is scary. Tyrell Smith's damn near 30. We had to get him out of retirement, have him come <laughs> back, and he's never really started a game in offensive line. I mean, he's really been special teams guy for most of his time, and that says all you need to know about the depth. I mean, I'm I'm at like a two or a three. I, it's, <laughs> I want to be optimistic and say three, but I feel like it's about a two. Like – Here's the thing. I, I'm with you, Brian. Like the offensive line, as currently constructed with the five guys that we presume will be starting, I'm actually okay with. I'm a little bit concerned about Luke Tenuta moving to left tackle. Um, yeah. I I understand it. Now it's you got to make that move. I get it. He's your best. He's your best tackle. You got to play him there. I totally understand it. Um, he just kind of had a so-so year last year at right tackle. So now moving him to left tackle, I'm like, man, is he really ready for that? He's got a lot of upside, and I think he's a good lineman. I, I'm just a little bit concerned about him there. And that's why the confidence level is lower, because I feel like he is one of our better offensive linemen, and I do have a concern about him at left tackle. Um, Lasita Smith, I think, will be fine. I mean, I, I think he's going to be our mo- most consistent offensive lineman. Um Johnny Jordan's going to play center, and then Brock Hoffman sliding over is probably what's best. But I, my patience with Brock Hoffman ran thin last year for <laughs> all of the ridiculous antics after the whistle. It's like, dude, you are you are a good lineman. 
you are not an outstanding lineman that we can't so outstanding that we can't pull you out of the game when you're acting like an asshole. Like yeah. <laughs> you can't be committing. I mean, some of the penalties he's committing, it's just like, man, they teach you this, and this guy's been playing football since he was, you know, yay high. You can't be committing the penalties that he was committing in high leverage situations like he was last year. Like he's gotta absolutely clean that up. Or else you gotta find somebody else who's gonna play who's not gonna commit penalties like that. Um, again, good lineman, but not so good that you can't pull him off the field when he's acting like that. So uh, he's got to clean that up. Um, I'm really optimistic about Johnny Jordan at center. Uh, you know, all Big Ten type player. Um, really started to come into his own at Maryland. Has an opportunity to be really good here, I think. Um, and then Silas Anzi, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with him playing some. I just... You know, he's probably going to be our most inconsistent offensive lineman, and I'm really concerned about the depth. I mean, the, the depth of the offensive line is uh, what's troubling me. I mean, the, the only reason why it's a little bit better than quarterback is you have more guys to try different positions. <laughs> but that's yeah. that's really about it. I mean, other than that, it's a lot of unproven depth back there. You, 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 yeah. hope, you, you got you Jesse hope. that can play a couple different positions, which is – that's really the only saving grace at this point is that, you know, Jesse can probably play – behind uh smith and behind jordan while brock kind of works on the right side depending on areas of need but outside of that i mean it, it's it's it, like like you said it's 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 scary in the depth area curtis i'm gonna let you go ahead man well i mean what i was you kind of said what i was going to say but the other piece is if we were to look back 365 days ago and i had told you guys hey next year offensive line depth is going to be scary y'all would have a laughed at me said i was an idiot based on what we had. So once again, it's the roster management. But I'm going to pivot this quick back to you, Brian, because, Mike, I want you to listen to Brian's idea. And and to me, you talk about Silas being inconsistent. I'd rather him be inconsistent at guard than tackle. And, and Brian oh, yeah. got an idea. Brian, pitch that idea you talked to me the other day about what you'd like to do on the right side of that line. I mean, think, I, I think it would be best if Brock could play right tackle if that would, I agree. That would be something that could work out. Um, Silas, you can hide the biggest deficiencies that he has inside. Yes, you can. Um, and I think he'll do better in the in the running game there as well. So <clears throat> moving him down, I think, would be the best case scenario, so long as Brock can hold up outside. Um, obviously, he's seems like played the pretty much every position on the line at some point in his football career, played guard and center obviously when he was at coastal and then you know we we've been kind of working him at both positions with center being the primary in terms of actually playing in a game but i would like to see him slide out if if we can make that work that gives us the chance to probably put our best five linemen on the field at least to start things off there and then see what goes there and obviously i've only looked at a little tape on bob schick he looks like he's a fairly decent player but i don't nothing spectacular um you know solid mechanics but nothing that blows you away um and obviously hasn't done it at the power five level yet so you really don't know what that's going to look like yeah so i mean when you're relying on those depth pieces Mm -hmm. that haven't played the position at the power five level before and you have two starters transfer out of the program you have another one go to the nfl it's Again, the roster management is what really bothers me because I feel like we really should have been in the portal and hitting the portal hard for offensive linemen. When the coaching staff 
comes out in spring practice and I sit in I sit in on those press conferences and they're saying in those press conferences that offensive line depth is a serious concern. When they're <laughs> saying that in the spring, this again, guys, this is a coaching staff that has done everything in their power. Brian and I were talking about this before we hit record. They do everything in their power not to reveal their hand, right? When they're coming out and openly saying they're extremely concerned about the offensive line, that makes me nervous. <laughs> exactly. That makes me really nervous. When they're open about – they're not open about anything. They're going to be open about that? Come on now. Well, you talk about hiding your hand. It's like the, you, you the, they were drunk at the card table that turned over their hand once, once uh, Hudson and Nestor left. As yep. soon as they left, you knew Darisol was gone. Daryl Saul was that good of a player. You knew he was gone. And as soon as those kids transferred out, everybody could look and say, they're going to be weak on the offensive line. I'm right. putting that at a two as well. Um, and then you sit here and there's nothing behind it. There's no there's no attacking the portal. Talk about Bashik potentially coming in. Maybe he comes in because at least he is 6'5 at 300 pounds. There's his upside. His upside is he has a body already that is essentially ready to play. Maybe he has some good enough technique and fundamentals where you say, okay, we are going to move Brock outside. Chick's going to back him up. This will give us a little room flexibility on the inside with Silas and Jesse kind of playing the swing guard spot. Now, but again, it's the whole thing of what happens if Johnny gets banged for three games? Well, you're moving Brock inside. Yeah, You're moving either Chick or Silas outside where it's like, at least you talked about Luke Tenuta. At least Luke Tenuta is good enough you know schematically you could do things to give him help on the left side, whether it be keeping the tight ends in, chipping, shifting to that side. But if you have two outside guys who both need help, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to sit out there and just run power all day and just say, hope to God we can get three to four yards. Max protect everything. Max yeah. <laughs> Two-man routes all day. Yeah, the absolute key to this offensive line having a successful year is the interior guys staying healthy. I mean, we can't can't afford to have an injury of Johnny Jordan or Brock Hoffman because even if they were to bounce Brock Hoffman outside, if they have an injury inside, they can move him, right? Um, exactly. Now, if he, gets, if he gets hurt, I think your options are a little bit more limited, um, yeah. regardless of where you're playing him inside or out. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So as we have kicked off the first two position groups here, our confidence levels are not that high for the offensive line or the quarterback room. So let's move to the next room. We're staying on offense. We'll flip the defense in a little while here, folks. Um, let's look at the running back room. And I'm going to be straight up with you. I put the running back room at an eight because – there's so many guys there. Someone is bound. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to hit, apparently. In eight. Somebody, whether it be Jalen Holston, Deshaun King, Marco Lee, you know, maybe one of the guys like Taj, Gary. I hope to God they're not putting Blackshear back there a ton of times. I'll let Brian harp on that later. But yeah, to me, I'll get there. <laughs> we, we've seen Jalen run at the end of the year. To me, I saw mismanagement on field last year when they were trying to put Raheem Blackshear to do that stuff versus Jalen Holston where Jalen Holston, by the end of the year, was the number two. And then the first time they ran Marco Lee, the guy got like five yards because he's 235, and he just plows into the line, and he goes forward. So this group is high for me because somebody's going to do something. Curtis. Talk, talk him off. Talk him Curtis. off. This team, this team, up until last year, hadn't had a running game consistently since 2011. 
and the guy that was the catalyst for that leaves, and you're putting confidence at an eighth? Yes, I'm putting confidence at eight. Well, I'm going one through eight. I'm, I'm grading them based on where I feel this is my highest confidence room because there's depth there. There's guys we've seen flash. I'm not worried. If Jalen gets banged, I feel Keyshawn could come in. If, you know, Marco, somebody is still going to be able to come and run but doing this offense. Because of the offense's plays and the schematics, it has potential for success. And that's why I'm going there. Not that there's like, this guy's going to go 1,800 yards and average six and a half a carry. That's not the reason. There's just so many bodies there compared to some of the other rooms. Here's the thing, too, um, about the running back room, to your point, Curtis. The, the fact that under Justin Fuente, this team finds ways to run the football regardless of whether or not they have a bell cow back, right? I think that's clear. And it's it's not always going to be a really successful running game. I, I think we know that at this point. But it, they're going to do enough to keep the defense off balance. And they're not going to have another Khalil Herbert for no. a, a long time. And uh, that's that's not a slight at anybody they bring in. or It's just what he did last year was – historic in terms of the running back position at Virginia Tech. Um, People need to understand, I think a lot of people do, but a lot of people I think just kind of gloss it over because the team didn't play as well as a lot of people had hoped. Like That was a really historic season he just had in terms of yards per carry, in terms of yards per game, all-purpose yards. He was one of the top backs in the country. Virginia Tech hasn't had that, uh, you know, forget, forget about 2011 with David Wilson. They haven't had that really in a, in a long time, even going back to like Darren Evans, Ryan Williams. I mean, they've had some strong running games, Lee Suggs, but Khalil Herbert is right up there with any of them. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. he was outstanding last year, and that's really hard to replace. But again, you know, they got a lot of guys in this room, whether it be the veterans like Jalen Holston or Raheem Blackshear, you know, kind of coming to his own as an upperclassman. Again, I, I'm with you, Curtis. Like, I, I would prefer to have Raheem Blackshear play more in the slot, play more outside of receiver, play a little bit at running back. I, I want him kind of all over the field. I don't want him lining up carrying the ball 15 times a game. I don't think that's his strength. I don't think that's that that's what the coaching staff envisions him doing. Um, and, and you guys will remember. I mean, they were hyping up Raheem Blackshear more than Khalil Herbert last year, and then you know Blackshear got a little banged up, had a hamstring injury. Um, never really came into form like the coaching staff was hoping, but he's got an opportunity to be really dynamic. Um, I like the freshman Jordan Brunson a lot. I don't know if he'll get any carries, uh, but I like him. I like his potential a lot. Um, six foot, 215 pounds. I mean, he, he's got good size. He's got decent speed. He's got very good athleticism. I like his tape from high school a lot, and he, I don't think he's being talked about nearly enough right now. Uh, but again, there are so many different guys that I think, you know, could potentially play a role. I mean, I'd love to see Marco Lee play some, um, but he's going to be that niche, like short yardage guy, I feel like. And in this offense, we're always out of shotgun. I don't know how much he's really going to actually have that role and have but that opportunity. Can, we all love Keyshawn King too, but I, the whole, can he put on weight? You know, can he hold his weight at the division one level? That's, that's the question as well. So, there's so there's so many questions in this room too, and like uncertainty with a lot of these guys that it's hard for me to have a lot of confidence. I'd put it like a, a three or a four. Okay. I, I mean, I I just don't. 
I don't know enough about a lot of these guys that we may have to rely on. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I'm close to you there. I, I So I see this unit as kind of like a high floor, low ceiling unit. Uh, I feel like th- they're not going to be bad just because they have a lot of guys and a lot of guys that at this point have seen some action. Um, but we, as you said, we don't have a bell cow. We don't have a Khalil Herbert. I don't think Holston can step into that type of role. I feel like he's more of a, I wouldn't say plotting back, but he's going to get you solid carries, but he's not going to be the guy like Herbert that breaks that one tackle. And now he's out in the secondary and he's getting a ton of extra yards. Yeah. He's he's not going to get those at least not at the, at the same level that Herbert did. I mean, a lot of times on that outside zone, he would, you know, shoulder shrug one tackle and next thing you know he's at the next level and up the sideline um i feel like king has a lot of potential but as you said can he keep on uh on the weight um i think it sounds like he's making some progress with with putting it on the question is can he keep it on can he keep it on in season when it matters to stay you know keep his body healthy enough to to, to take the, the the bangs and the hits that come at, at playing running back and you know marco lee Big guy, definitely more of a niche player, though, as you said. Um, short yardage, goal line scenarios. Don't see him getting much in the middle of the field unless, you know, it's one of those third and shorts and we don't call quarterback power in those situations. We we, we, we give the ball to a, a big back and let him get the first down there. Um, but I, as you said, though, I would say, you know, Brunson and Hampton are probably in play. I don't know if they're going to get a whole lot of snaps, but I really like Brunson's tape when I looked yeah. at it coming out. So, you know, he has the potential if, if, if he puts the pieces together to, to, to pop and maybe um, compete for some snaps. But um, I really want to see Blackshear more in the next group we're going to talk about than this group. Um, I, I think he's more of a like Percy Harvin type player. Like yep. he'll, he'll, he needs to take some carries out of the backfield. He needs to um, run some routes out of the backfield and things of that nature, but he doesn't need to be your spell back or, or any sort of every down type player um, from the running back position. He's going to have to take some damn snaps at quarterback at some point, probably. <laughs> well, there is, you know, there's one person out there that's potentially that is being recruited that I feel that if it happens, you could have a Khalil Herbert situation again because of his talent. I'm not mentioning his name. I think anyone that is in the know with Virginia Tech football knows who's, who I am talking about. But the events that happened yesterday with someone in his family, not looking great. So we'll see. Brian, you already mentioned it. I'll set up the softball to you, big guy. Wide receiver, tight end. Where's your confidence level on this one, Brian? Uh, a three. I'm at a three on wide receiver, and it really has all to do with, you know, it's it's a whole lot of question marks once you get past the names Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson. Um, and we're going to go ahead and throw tight ends in here in this group, and James Mitchell would be the other name that you would mention there. I think we have a lot of really good receivers that can play in the slot. Um whether it be freshman or a Raheem Blackshear. Um, but I'm I'm not really sold on guys that beyond Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson that can really step up at the uh at the outside there. Th- those are concerning whether we end up using James Mitchell in a similar fashion that we use Bucky Hodges. 
uh, early in Fuente's tenure. That remains to be seen given the, the lack of depth, I think, at the position in terms of proven talent because, you know, beyond the kind of first-line guys, there's a there's a bunch of names but not a, not a bunch of snaps behind those names. Man, I just <laughs> – I think this entire I, I hate I hate to just continue to say the same thing over and over again, but I feel just I feel that this entire roster is so mediocre right now. Like at a lot of positions. Not not all positions. We'll get to the defense. I, I'm a lot more confident on that side of the ball. But on the offense, <laughs> I have concerns, man. Like at receiver specifically. Trey Turner, man, it's it's about time. Like we're getting it's getting to be about that time buddy like we need we need some more production right like it's it's getting a little late um showed a lot of promise as a freshman last couple years not so much um he's got a lot of potential continues to have a lot of potential and that's what's bothering me it's just kind of like he hasn't fully realized kind of the player that i think a lot of us thought he could be um you know, when he first got onto campus, I think we were all thinking, all right, Isaiah Ford type explosive mm-hmm. plays, That's right? Exactly what I thought. <laughs> and then and then it just hasn't really panned out. He hasn't stayed healthy. Um it's been it's been a struggle. I, I get the quarterback position's been kind of a revolving door. It's hard to get rhythm with the quarterbacks. I get it. Um as a receiver, I understand. Um James Mitchell's really good. It's awesome that he's stuck around. Nick Gallo, I like him a lot. Uh I just, as a pure, at the pure receiver position, I think Changa Hodge could have really carved out a nice role. It's unfortunate that he tore his ACL. Jaden Payute, I'm really excited to see him play. I'm also a little bit nervous that he's not going to be as healthy as he would like. Um, and again, uh, it's anytime you have a foot injury, when you got screws inserted and all that stuff, it's it's a total coin flip, guys. And I'd love for him to come back and be healthy and play to his potential because I, I know the staff's very high on him and he's one of the few four stars on our roster at this point. So I would like for him to produce at a skill position. Yep. And, um, you know, Tavion Robinson, I, I like him a lot. I, I'm really excited in this room about the young guys, right? I mean, Dewan Lofton, I think, is going to play and play a decent amount. It seemed like he was getting uh, a decent amount of snaps with the ones during the spring. That's really encouraging Jalen Jones a freshman out of Richmond is another kid that I think has a lot of potential both inside and outside um, he's a little bit bigger into Juan Lofton so those are two guys who are young who I think could play early um, but I think my confidence level is still around like a four because Trey Turner can't really stay healthy and James Mitchell I feel like every team's got a key on him so who's going to be the other guy that steps up you know is it going to be Tavion Robinson to take on kind of a larger role now his third year in the offense is it going to be one of the young guys like Lofton or Jones like is it going to be Nick Gallo stepping up is he going to get more snaps at tight end two tight end sets right is he going to become more of a pass catching threat now like those are questions I have um and I I just I think there's potential out of this group for sure I just confidence is not all that high just because of injuries and health and depth and that sort of thing yep I'm, I'm close with you guys on this one I'm like at a four with this one too um and it's not the guys are talented. You start looking at the guys. Trey's talented. That first year, like you mentioned, Mike, he exploded. We expected more. He's kind of only went up a little bit, not really did this. Potential's there. Potential's there. Tavion, same way. Tavion's growing his first year. 
Then second year, you saw the growth. And then Payute, if that guy comes back and has anything near the speed that he showed at essentially the workout that got him the offer and bumped him to a top 100 player, that's good. Blackshear. Lofton, John. Oh, Blackshear. Didn't even mention Blackshear. Blackshear. Yeah. Y- y'all, y'all love Blackshear. You forget to mention him here. Yeah. He I mentioned him in passing. <laughs> I'm just an idiot. Being an, being an OW, not being a running back, not being just a slot. James Mitchell and Nick Gallo, even Drake Dallas, we know he can be a solid tight end. What I'm more concerned with and why this group is a four and not necessarily like a five or a six is we've had talented groups before. And we don't show how to put them in situations to excel. And what makes me angry, Mike, and I've told Brian this a ton if you've listened to us before, what makes me angry is is I look at this offense, and if you put these guys in the situations where they could excel, you could have guys who are borderlining on 1,000 receiving yards. Not one, multiple. You have guys who could be borderlining on 1,000 rushing yards. Not one, multiple. But every time it's like, okay, this is the year. We're going to see more plays. And it's like the same 15 plays. Yeah, instead we'd rather run the quarterback 30 times a game. you know? Exactly. So it's a gross mismanagement of talent. And if, you know, to me, and I'm probably sure to you guys, if Justin Fuente doesn't win 10 games and go to the ACC title game, he's fired. I, it, it doesn't. I think that's, I think that's it. See, I um, I think I think that's what should happen. But to be honest with you, in my opinion, when Whit Babcock and whoever else made the decision to keep Fuente around, they made their bed with that. And I think it's going to be more than a one-year experiment because I don't think you do the whole song and dance. That this could be an entirely different podcast. So I don't want to get too off track. But I don't think <laughs> I don't think Whit Babcock does the whole song and dance of, oh, like, this is really year one. You know, we didn't have our facilities and didn't put enough funding into football, yada, yada, yada. Like, I think it would have to be real bad for Fuente to get fired. I honestly believe that. I think if, honest to God, I think if he goes, like, 8-4 and four and only loses to, like, Notre Dame, UNC, a couple others, West Virginia maybe, and then, like, name the random ACC game we lose every year. Like, <laughs> I think that that probably – is going to be enough for him to stick around another year. I do believe that because I don't. I, I got no. I got no reason to believe that this is going to work long term. I, I mean, I'm. I'm an optimistic guy. I didn't really understand why he was kept. I guess a big buyout, all that. I just feel like there was there were too many things said in that press conference by Whit Babcock that made me think, man, I feel like this is more than a one year thing. It would have to be real bad. It would have to like really, really bottom out because he's stuck around for this long. I don't know. But let me ask this yeah. hold on, before you jump in. Yeah, you go ahead. But let me ask this, Mike, in your opinion, and Brian, I want you to answer this too. Eight and four, seven and five, does Whit get to walk up to him and say, You need to fucking fire somebody because this well, is shit. It should have already happened. Yes. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, it should have already happened, guys. I, I, we, I mean, we're all, we're all on the, I, I know we're all on the same page on this. We've talked about this several times off the air, but this is like, and that should already happened. I, the, the fact, and I like, I like Justin Hamilton a lot, and I like his potential and all that. But when your back's against the wall, 
hiring a guy who's never been a defensive coordinator before is a hell of a decision. Yep. It's a hell of a decision. I I don't know. I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I all the potential in the world has a chance to be really good. I like Hamilton. I think he could be a very good defensive coordinator. I get his potential. But I, I feel like Fuente, and the reason why he's in this mess is he's hired too many guys based on potential. Okay. And he's recruited too many guys based on potential and not like where they're actually at right now. And I think that's why the program's kind of in the rut they're in. But anyway. That's a very, very good point. I, I like the way you said that. A lot of potential, but we haven't seen a whole lot of that potential come to fruition. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when you look at, at, at Justin at, uh, at, at Justin Hamilton, a um, lot of lot of uh, a lot of good things you're seeing, but I think there's definitely some growing pains that are going to come with hiring a coach um, that hasn't really seen a whole lot of action at the right. Power Five level at this point. And you know we can address the elephant in the room that is uh, Brad Cornelson. Yeah, um, probably put in a position where has potential, but what, what we're seeing is that the deficiencies aren't in the offensive design or anything of that, but it's in the, the, the small situations in the game that matter, whether it's certain calls at certain times of the game or making adjustments when, you know, we do what we do isn't working. Right. I just, I, f- I feel like this is, I mean, obviously this is a program on the brink and obviously there have been some tough years here recently and it's all about time, right? And I just don't know. I'm confident, listen, I'm confident that what Virginia Tech's doing as an athletic department to put more money into football and recruiting resources and all that, I I think that'll pay off. And I think Fuente, to his credit, I think he's made the right hires for recruiting and with some of his support staff to really attack something he's not very good at in recruiting. Yeah. I just don't know if he's going to have enough time to reap the benefits of that. And I'm not sure he's going to have enough time to reap the benefits of Justin Hamilton's potential as a defensive coordinator. And that's kind of, that's kind of just a trend with this program. I just, we're short on time. I'm just not sure there's going to be that opportunity for, you know, these guys to really kind of come into their own. Hey, uh, Wonderful viewer there. Hashtag fire corn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonder who that could be. Uh, right, we're going to do before we jump over to the defensive side of the ball is we are going to take a really quick pause for a message from our digital partners. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. All right, so... Now let's jump on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to lead here. We're going to start with the defensive line because the defensive line gets one of my highest grades. Um, I'm giving it a seven. And it's not only potential, as you guys have been talking about, but it's proven results. 
it's depth, and it's a it's a line we saw do well last year at times and not do so well at times. But there are also some key correct positional requirements that we didn't have. Love Gerard Hewitt. Gerard Hewitt was not a defensive tackle in this particular scheme. He leaves, and lo and behold, a six foot four, three hundred seventeen pound defensive lineman from the seven five seven transfers from Clemson. He is a prototypical defensive tackle in this type of scheme. And not only is it one of these things where it's Virginia kid coming home, you get the feel-good story, you get a recruiting bump, in my opinion, because of the talk that he had about, like, he created a great relationship with Justin Fuente while he was being recruited. A lot of people didn't like to hear that. But it does say that maybe all is not bad with how our head coach recruits. Um but I sit here and I look at the names, Amari Barna, Pollard, Fuga, Kendricks, Garbutt, hopefully Belmar. I know he's going through some things. You know, where are you at, Mike, with a defensive line group? Um, honestly, like a seven. It's one of my highest ratings as well. Um, just think about the guys that are kind of coming back into the fold, right? Barno didn't even really have a full off season to be a defensive end before last year and still produced. And now he has a regular off season without COVID and all that stuff has an opportunity to really produce Taiwan Garbutt's back. Emmanuel Belmar has proven to be a very solid player for the Hokies. You got Robert Wooten and Alec Bryant on the outside on the interior. You obviously have Jordan Williams transferring in from Clemson. Josh Fuga has an opportunity now to be, you know, really good and kind of grasp more of a role on the interior defensive line. You got Norrell Pollard as well. Um, I would would have just absolutely just loved to see this unit with like a full off season last year, like a real opportunity to kind of gel um, because Barno shows so much promise and he's so freaking athletic. And the fact that he was able to play as well as he did last year without any real off season practice at the position is so promising for this upcoming year. I'm really high on the defense, guys. I think the defensive line has a chance to be really good. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, with J.C. Price com- kind of coming into the fold, you know, how that dynamic works out without Daryl Tapp. Um, because Bill Tegurlink has proven to be really good. And the opportunity now for J.C. Price, not only on the recruiting trail, but to come in um, and kind of add a new voice to the room on the defensive side of the football. I'm really excited to see that. Plus the fact that these players get an entire off season to kind of move forward. Um, one other quick note, Deshaun Crawford would have loved to see him stick around. I understand why he transferred out of the program. I get it. It's, it's a numbers thing. There's a lot of talented guys on the interior defensive line for Virginia tech, but um, I really liked him a lot. He was always fun to interview. <laughs> like he was great in press <laughs> conferences and stuff like that. So okay. personal affinity for the guy. Um, but he was also a pretty solid player, and it's kind of a bummer that he's gone. I think he would have been great. But um, this is a really, really good unit here up front, and I think it has a lot of promise. Yeah, I like. I, I gave this this group a a six. I like the front line guys. I like the second line guys. I like the other handful of guys that are going to work in. I know uh, Bill Tierlink likes to run at least two, sometimes three line deep. Um, with his uh, defensive line uh, getting significant uh, number of snaps. But just we, we talked about it a lot on, on this, like the way Barno went from 
somewhat of a liability unless it was a third and long situation kind of week one to where he finished the season was was mind-blowing um like dude dude came on and came on fast and once he got it i mean he just took off um you know having belmar back jalen griffin uh see how robert wooten comes along um like the defensive ends overall Defensive tackle, I feel really good about. As you said, I would have liked to see if Deshaun Crawford would have stuck around, how deep that unit would have been as well. But we still got Pollard. We got Williams coming in. Still got Kendricks, Fuga. Got Max Philpot on scholarship now. I heard he had a pretty good spring. So, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of promise in this unit, so I feel really good about him. And, and, and as far as the interior part of the line goes, we're actually, for the first time, I feel like, man, maybe since – Mid two thousands, we were big inside. Yeah, not two eighty. You know, Jordan's over three. Fuga's over three. Pollard's your biggest undersized guy, but if he's deployed correctly in the right situations, Brian, you can attest to this. There's no probably. There's only a handful of guards and centers that can deal with that quick step that Pollard has, based on his size to strength. Like, you know, he's got a quick step, but he is strong. He's like 270, but he's built like he's he's strong enough to be 290. And when you have that quick step and you have that strength, there's not going to be many interior linemen that are going to be able to stop you. Um, this is – be honest, this is probably the group that saved Justin Fuente's job. Yeah. I mean, I, for real. I agree. Um, I agree. Shows that he could go out and land a big-time transfer and – develop the group that's here because again Kendricks and Pollard and the guys that have been here have shown it in Barno for real. And Barno, I mentioned this to Brian a couple of days ago. Barno got tap one on one last year. You mentioned JC Price is coming in. JC's a defensive tackle guy more. He's coached the whole line, but he played defensive tackle. You feel like that's more of his bread and butter. He's now going to get probably Tierlick more of the time. So it's almost like Daryl was able to shave the raw down and started what we saw at the end of last year. Now you're going to get like the doctor to come in and say, here's what you need to do next. Yep. I don't know. It's, it's promising. I mean, I'm, I like this group a lot. And again, I, I think this is one of the first times, you know, since Bud Foster left that you're seeing, you know, the bigger defensive linemen really come into the fold in a more prominent way. We've seen yeah. it bits and pieces, right? Even when Bud Foster was still a defensive coordinator, we saw kind of the bigger defensive linemen start to get recruited a little bit. And then you really saw it when Justin Hamilton took over, and now you're going to see them in a more prominent role um, with, with a lot of the younger guys too. Like not just the Jordan Williamses of the world. I'm talking about like yeah. younger guys are going to have an opportunity to play here. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting, and I think it needs to be done, especially in like this new era of college football. I think you've got to have bigger def- interior defensive linemen and defensive ends. And, you know, the way that Bud Foster traditionally recruited defensive linemen, I think moving moving past that, honestly, for all the good things that Bud Foster did, I think kind of moving past that into this kind of new era up front on the defensive line, I think is for the best. Absolutely. All right, let's roll on. Let's take a look at the linebacker core. Um, Brian, why don't you jump on this one, man, because – I feel like we, when we talked a couple of days ago, we were, we were feeling this was kind of similar, and then I'd want to hear what you got to say, Mike. I will start off. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give my grade first. I'm giving this a four. Um, I feel okay about it. Um, 
I don't really think the, the, the recent news really changes how I feel about it. Um, we've got Dax moving into Mike, um, Kashawn Artis and Dean Ferguson kind of behind him. I feel like that's a pretty solid uh, three-man tandem for Mike. Uh, where I'm a little iffy is uh, is backer. Um, Alan Tisdale is a talented player, but he's been very inconsistent. Um, and he's been undersized to play the position. Looks like he's put on a little bit of weight. Um, you know, the, the word is that uh, but becoming a father has kind of matured him a little bit. So I, w- I wonder if that's going to knock out some of the, the inconsistency in, in the game. So we'll see there. And then you got CJ McCray coming in along with uh, Lakeem Rudolph um, at the backer position there. So we'll see how McCray kind of fits in and learns the system. And then I, I know Lakeem Rudolph is on a, on a position change. So he's still kind of picking up the position as well. So, um, behind Tisdale, it's a lot of question marks as to how that's going to work out. Uh, so that's, that's why my confidence is a little, little hazy there. I feel pretty good about Mike, but a little iffy about backer. I'm at about a three and maybe that's low. Maybe that's a little bit more pessimistic. Um, maybe Papa Tisdale turns a corner, <laughs> right? Like maybe, <laughs> maybe he comes into his own a little bit. Um, again, you know, all the talent in the world and he's got a lot of potential the inconsistency kills me at backer and that's why i'm a little bit low on the unit as a whole because when you go to mike dax hollyfield has been a little bit up and down and that that concerns me too now i think that moving over to mike in a traditional mill linebacker position i think is for the best for dax um he wasn't going to play that Obviously, a year ago, um, with Ashby still in the fold, I get that. Um, and I think he has an opportunity to obviously, you know, come into his own a bit. But I'm a little bit more concerned about the linebacking core from a depth standpoint, too, just because we don't know a lot about the guys behind him, like Dean Ferguson, for example. Like, I think he has an opportunity in a bigger role to play well, but. It's something that obviously makes me nervous if he has to take on a bigger role than anticipate because Dax doesn't live up to hype at middle linebacker. If if Dax doesn't, but to to the credit, this is Dax's natural position. He's been playing out of position for the last three years at backer. He was never athletic enough. Brian said numerous times, Dax knew where he needed to be. There was just times Dax was one step there too late or, you know, didn't have the right angle because he didn't have the speed to get there. Or so, missed the tackle. Sorry. Missed the tackle. <laughs> and then essentially the alley was open and it was a big game. I think that's good. And I think Tisdale is your prototypical backer. As long as he's somewhere between 220 and 230, not 205 and 210, because if he's small, it, it's an even bigger issue this year. But I gave this with you, Mike. I'm a three. It's not because I don't trust Tisdale and Dax. I trust them. I think those guys could be an excellent unit if they don't get hurt but it's a linebacker position you're flying in there you're using your body you're trying to fill gaps at the mic position you feel okay between dean and Kishon, you're like okay this could work we can move unfortunately dax back to backer but if backer you know if tis, it's just it's it's like as soon as one of those guys gets hurt you're like shit yeah <laughs> there, yep. there's no other way to say it. it's like and, and this wasn't a big room to begin with. It's it, To me, the last two or three years, it's been significantly under-recruited. 
Yep. And I know you mentioned CJ McCray coming in, and that's great. Maybe he's someone that you look at his you look at his size, you feel like he is a backer. Lakeem's a backer. You know, where do they start Kalai Lawson at? Do they start him at backer or do they move him to end immediately? Oh my like, God. I, I you guys know I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You guys know how I feel about Lawson. You guys know how I feel about Lawson. I love I love Lawson. Everybody yeah. loves Lawson because yeah. we see him in so many different ways. Because you see him and say, Good Lord, he could be Tremaine, right? Like he could be Tremaine. If he puts 15 pounds on, 20 pounds on, he could be Tremaine. But then the Listen. other part of us says, Well, shit. He could be Tremaine. Mario 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> 2.0. I and and look the the versatility that you guys are talking about is is the the big thing for me and you guys will remember back during quarantine we were all locked inside and we were all on Twitter way more than we should be I made the comparison that Lawson had a little bit of Isaiah Simmons in him and I got dragged for <laughs> all of a sudden Lawson's got four stars now I don't look so stupid, right? Like, this is a guy that has that positional, and all I meant was this is a guy who has positional versatility. Everybody was like, oh, he's going to live up to Simmons. That's crazy you put that on him. That's not what I meant. He's got versatility. He can play a linebacker. He could could play, you know, out in the flat, right? I mean, you can kind of line him up on a slot guy. You can play him at defensive end because he's got the size and the length, the athleticism. Like, he's really talented, and he's another Barno type with a little bit more speed, right? And Barno was kind of in, in between positions a little bit. Lawson, I think, in between positions a little bit. And yeah. he can be like a Tremaine if you play him at linebacker. He can be a more experienced Barno if you line him up at defensive end. Like, this is a guy that I think can really make a difference moving forward. Absolutely. So, again, it's on the coaching staff to put him in the right position day one where he can become an immediate impact player. Um I look at Kalai Lawson. I know this is we're we're going off a little bit. Maybe a conversation we're we're going to be having two months from now. His athleticism. If that guy's not on every special teams unit every freaking game year one, then you failed him. He's six foot four. He's probably going to come in about two hundred and fifteen to two hundred twenty pounds. Right. He can jump out of the room. Those training tapes when he did some of those box jumps, like he was box jumping where you see collegiate kid box jump when he was a junior in high school. So, like, get him in on the punt block units, on the field goal units. He clearly can help you. Again, it's trusting the coaching staff to do it. All right, so we all feel terrible about the linebacker. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are a little bit higher on Dax than I am. I I love Dax. I just – he's been kind of bounced around a little bit. Hopefully he finds some stability at middle linebacker. I think that's where he's best suited anyway. That's that's the hope. I, I feel like, you know, I think we saw a little bit from him last year as the season went on. Start of the year, he was not playing well at all. Um, I think his last, like, three or four games, he probably played his best football of the, of the year. And I'm hoping that going to his more natural position is going to be the, the thing that he needs to kind of turn the corner um, with his with his overall career. Because, I mean... He's had a decent career, but in terms of like where the expectations were year one, definitely has not lived up to that level of height. It's true. It's true. And I, I think being the out of position thing was the big thing. And personally, you said it earlier, I love Bud to death. I think Bud should have been smart in 18 and realized 
I need to let Dak sit because Dak's not gonna is not going to get his maximum time at the position he is best for. Yep. And yep. It, it, to me, it's hurt Dak's. It's hurt us. It's hurt the program in some way. Yeah. All right. Let's roll on. If you're good, everybody good. Anything else on linebackers? By the way, good. By the way, if Dean Ferguson does get in and he hits somebody, I think he is going to physically hurt somebody because Dean just I like, like him. I, he looks mean. He looks old school. Like I'm going to hit you and then probably stand over you. He's I, he's much more he's he's much more like an Ashby than than uh, than Dax is. I will say that he's got a little bit a little bit of bite to him. <laughs> All right, let's roll on to safeties and whips. Um, Brian, leave this one for us, man. Where are you looking at safeties and whips with the big news this week? Devin Hunter back on the team. Solidifying some depth there. I tell you, I feel I feel pretty good. I'm giving this a seven. Um, between the nickel whip position with Shamari and the Sear Peoples, um, boundary safety, you got, you know, potentially Hunter back in there. You got uh, Tay Daly that could work in there. Potentially Devin Taylor coming back. Um, could, he's he's going to probably work with both the the safeties and the and the corners there, since we've got a little bit more depth this year than we had last year at that position. And then you got Kayanta Jenkins. Um, you know, had saw some time last year. Uh, played a little well at the start of the year. Then had all the COVID uh, stuff happen, and then uh, kind of didn't see as much of him as the year wore on. And, uh, and then you got J.R. Walker that could work in there as well. So we got, a, I think, a pretty solid group and a, probably about three or four guys in the front line that I think could do do a pretty good job of holding down the safety position there between Connor, Tay, Devin, and Keonta. I like this group a lot. Um, the Devin Hunter news changes things dramatically, obviously. Um, now, Devin Hunter, you know, when he – was recruited by Virginia Tech. I mean, remains the highest rated recruit in the Justin Fuente era. I think it's safe to say now we're, you know, three plus years in. It hasn't exactly lived up to the hype yet. Now, there's an opportunity now in front of Devin Hunter where he's got a position that he can lock down. He's been given a second chance. I, I'm really happy for him. Um, I'm happy that the coaching staff gave him that second chance. I think you know, not to go too far into that, but he showed remorse. He, you know, did what he needed to do when he's handled it like an adult. And I think yep. that should be commended. Um, now on the football side, I think giving him an opportunity now to play safety and kind of emerge in that role like we have all wanted him to is something we would really like to see. And bringing in Tay Daly as a transfer, obviously, you know, <laughs> played to Vanderbilt a very bad football program. He was very good. Yes, um, he was. Don't get it twisted. Very good football player um, that they brought in here at safety. And just because he came from Vanderbilt doesn't mean he can't play. He can absolutely play. And I think he'll make an impact. I liked what I saw out of Keontae Jenkins in a limited role early in the year last year. Um, I think he had, obviously has an opportunity to play well. J.R. Walker um, is a guy I thought would play a little bit more than he did last year. Um, you know, he was in the fold a little bit. I thought he'd play more, but yeah, I like the unit a lot. Um, safety and whip and, and Shamari Connor, I know is obviously going to, going to play a lot and they'll move him all around the secondary. Uh, but yeah, I like this unit a lot. Confidence level is about a six. Um, 
Because even if they have to play young guys, I'm confident they can get the job done. Because if Keontae Jenkins plays a little bit more than we expect, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I think he can be a really good player down the line for Virginia Tech. Hopefully he stays with the program, doesn't transfer. I, I hope that they kind of um, wet his palate enough, right, and, and get him yeah. enough snaps because I think he has potential to be a really good safety here. Um, but, yeah, I really like this unit a lot, a lot of potential, and the ceiling gets raised exponentially when you add a guy like Devin Hunter back into the room with all the potential that he has and the kind of recruit that he was. I mean, he obviously has the athleticism and the ceiling to get the job done, um, but it'll be really cool to, to see him potentially get that opportunity to kind of shine like we all expect him to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Essentially, all three of us. We're I'm at a six on this too, because um, I think Kay Daly coming in, you lose, you know, Divine Diablo in the back end, but you have a guy like Daly, like you guys have said, he went to Vanderbilt, not good football. He was a good football player. Devin Hunter, and the thing is, let's flash back to August of last year and the comments that were being made. Devin's ready. Devin's ready. It was just like, like I think everybody in Hokie Nation were like, oh my God, he is going to take over the. Rover boundary safety position, and he is going to excel. Then everything happens. He does all the right things. He gets back in with the football program. So it not only bolsters that position where you can say that was the weaker of the two positions because Keonta played free safety last year. And with this, you've got Devon coming in, and obviously he's probably immediately going into August like, Y'all better be ready because he's going to take that position from whoever's in it right now. Y'all thought he was motivated before? Watch now. Exactly. And as talented and athletic as he was, that room's ready. The depth behind him between J.R. Walker, Keonta Jalen, and one person that y'all haven't mentioned, Jalen Stroman is going to see some time this year. He's going to see a ton of special teams. He's going to see some on the field with the regular unit. He's one of those guys, I kid not, we went through guys, you mentioned Kalal Lawson at the four-star bump. If Jalen Stroman had a real season last year, Jalen Stroman would have been a four-star, without a doubt. And you've already, Mike, you, we listened to some of the interviews and we've spread some of the stuff. They're high on Jalen right now. They are. Um, they, they really are. And I think he could play some, too. I agree. Um, they're going to find ways to get him on the field, for sure. And I don't know if – I'm sure they'll toe the line with the four-game redshirt rule, especially if there are no injuries. They're going to toe the line there. They're going to mix him in. Um, if there's an injury, I think he'll play a lot more. But uh, listen, guys, as far as the recruiting goes and as far as you know, some of these guys are concerned with like Lawson and Stroman in particular, they're guys who really did not benefit from not having a season, right? Not having a season, yeah. at least when they were really getting recruited. Um, and, and look, I, yeah, well, yeah. And there are some really talented players in not only Virginia Tech's recruiting class, but in recruiting classes across the country, they're being overlooked because there weren't camps, because there you know, weren't football seasons, at least in the fall when they were really getting recruited. Um, yeah. and, and I think in Stroman and Lawson's case in particular, they have an opportunity to make a huge impact, even though their rating might not necessarily reflect it. Big time. Absolutely. Yeah, we were talking about that, like not having the camps, not having a fall season. Um, and it's it's probably going to impact, you know, the, the, the 22 class just as much as it has impacted 21. Agree. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to see some of that trickle down. We're already seeing that, 
you know, so many um, this cycle have have kind of waited to commit before, you know, this dead period kind of lifted that they can get into these camps and they can get on campus and things like that. Yeah, and I'll give the staff I'll give the staff credit. Um, I think there are some ball players in the recruiting class they just got, and I know the rating wasn't there. I, it was an improvement from from the you know class two cycles ago, I for sure. But there are some ball players there, and I know it wasn't the highest rated class in the ACC. I, I know it wasn't as high as a lot of fans would have liked, but there are some ball players there, and there are some guys that have a lot of potential. Yeah, it's it's one of those classes that potentially, whether Justin Fuente is the head coach in three to four years or not, the people are going to look back and there's going to be some guys there that are playing huge roles, whether he's the yep. coach or whether we have a brand-new coach. Mike, I see you're a very happy man right now. Your Bruins closed it out in OT21. So, oh, yeah. Good for you. I good held for it you. in. I held it in. <laughs> I, I was just- we don't care. You could have like stopped and be like, shut up. We just scored. I'm celebrating the drink. You guys care, had man. Jeremy. You guys had Jeremy on here. Like there was, <laughs> I, I we, we had it. we had 90 minutes of Jameson. Right. Like I I get it. You know, it's it's a lot to live up to. That's right. <laughs> there's there's times where we're sitting here and just chatting. The next thing you know, like he's like staring at a game, like Brian. That son of a just did so and so. Brian, by the way, Brian, we are a few minutes away from your Lakers tipping off. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, just, I have zero confidence in that, just like I do in the quarterback room. <laughs> Anthony Davis is gonna play though; he'll be okay. <sighs> we'll see. Yeah. He'll pull his point again. All right, yeah. let's go to the last group, guys, and wrap this up tonight. Um, cornerback, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on this one. Um, I'm putting cornerback at a seven between Dory and Strong. Great freshman All-American campaign. Hopefully, and, and and I'm putting it at a seven, not a six. Hopefully, an optimistic that Jermaine Waller gets back to his 2019 ways, along with guys like Brian Murray, Armani Chapman, who got a ton of playing time last year. Um, the new man on campus today, DJ Harvey from out in California. I just feel like the depth of this room, they're, they're good. Could – I want to see – Jermaine Waller get back to that 2019 form because if Jermaine Waller gets back to that 2019 form, my opinion is in the first two days of the NFL draft, Jermaine Waller will be gone off the board. That's my opinion. Um, yeah, and I think last year him being banged probably gave me that seven because so many younger guys got the opportunity to get on the field and to get that knowledge that you can have a thousand spring practices actually being in the game against the against your competition, that's how you grow the most. I'm at Nate with this group. Um, and I'm, I'm high on this group, guys. And I look, and, and part of the reason why I'm so high on the corners in particular is because you also have guys at safety who can kind of slide around if there are depth <laughs> issues and injuries. Um, one guy that I didn't mention, and I don't think you guys mentioned either, Devin Taylor. Like I mentioned him in the safety group. I, I was saying he could play corner now, or safety here. Now, 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 listen. Now, if he plays some corner where, look, he had to slide in the safety last year out of necessity. If he plays some corner, I mean, we're, we're cooking with gas. And then you got DJ Harvey as a freshman. You got Jermaine Waller. Um, I, this is a really talented group, guys. Um, Breon Murray, I, I think Breon Murray's fantastic. Um, Dorian Strong, obviously, freshman All-American, really good player. Um, Breon Murray, if he doesn't get COVID, 
I mean, he's an all-ACC player last year without Waller in the fold. And he got COVID and kind of things went sideways. He missed a bunch of time. But um, Breon Murray is a really good player. There's depth all over the field in the secondary. Um, and, you know, I mentioned I, I think I, I put safeties at a six. I, I put corners at an eight. I think you obviously if you average the group, it's a seven. I mean, this is the strength, the strength of the teams in the secondary, um, yep. the, the defensive backs, the versatility, the way you can mix and match. There are going to be a lot of talented guys here this year that don't play a lot of snaps just because there are too many guys for too few spots. Yep. I wish we, and again, roster management, right? You have a lot of really good <laughs> players here in the secondary. Yeah. Like I, I wish we had that problem all over the field. Then we're like Clemson. Right, we got a lot, a lot of good players like exactly. Jordan Williams, who who transfers in, who didn't play a lot of Clemson. Obviously, a really capable and talented player. Um, we got to have that problem everywhere. Then we're cooking with gas. Yeah, I'm I'm right with you there, Mike. I've got him at an eight as well. Jermaine Waller coming back, hopefully fully healthy, ready to roll. Um, you got Dorian Strong, who had a great freshman campaign. Um, Breon Murray that you mentioned that was playing really well before he was injured. Armani Chapman, who's really talented, even though he's been somewhat inconsistent. And then you've got Devin Taylor that's, you know, with the depth that we now have at safety, um, you know, can slot in there at, at the cornerback position where he's more of a natural fit. Um, then you got the young guys coming in um, between, uh, you know, DJ Harvey and a couple of the other uh, younger quarterbacks that we had in this class. I just I feel really good about this group. Um, you know, you really got five five players that have seen significant snaps at the cornerback position at the power five level. Uh, two of them that have done it very damn well, and a couple others that that, that were cons- you know played well in spots, even if they were consistent in their you know total campaign for twenty twenty. Let's also be realistic, guys. Justin Hamilton actually had a spring to install what the hell he wants to do. Yeah. Last year it was on the fly. Now, whether you disagree or agree with what he tried to do to install it, a lot of people will tell you, dude, you should have, you knew Bud system like the back of your hand. You should have stuck with it. Maybe they win eight games last year. Maybe they win seven. Maybe they have a better season and we're not where we are from a viewpoint of the coaching staff. But he didn't. But I think that also helps this year because I actually can give you game footage against North Carolina. Clemson, Duke, where you messed this up. But this is in-game, and now we have a spring to go practice it, make it right, so as we get into fall, we essentially put everything together as we march towards Labor Day Friday. Yep. And I think Justin Hammond talked a lot about, like, streamlining and keeping what's good and editing and things like that uh, when he was talking some of the off-season videos we've seen. So hopefully we'll see some of that. Obviously, just having the time and the actual on-field coaching that you can do with the spring, with the full fall, um, that that's going to pay a bunch of dividends. And just having most of these guys that have already been in this uh, this system to a point for for a season, like Curtis mentioned, you know, I feel like they're going to be in a lot better place than they were, especially at the start of the season last year. But definitely, um, you know, overall, I just think the quality across college football and I know we're talking about the Hokies, but I think just the quality of football in September and October is going to be so much greater this year than it was last year. I mean, a lot of a lot of team seasons didn't start till mid to late September last year, and then 
you know, some teams didn't start till October, and then you look at the Pac-12 didn't start playing till November. November. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but, like, when looking back on it, think about the quality of football we saw from the beginning of the year last year, and, and not even just Virginia Tech, just across college football. Like, beginning yeah. of last year to, like, the playoff. Once we got to the college football playoff, it was like, all right, like, these teams are really good. <laughs> like, we, yeah. we were seeing good football, and it, it felt normal again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm hoping that now with a real off season, and I think this will be the case, obviously, with a real off season, you know, restrictions are being lifted. Everybody's being able to practice and bring recruits on campus, all that stuff. Like, I feel like we're going to get a better football season early in the year than we did last year. It was a weird year. And I feel like with Justin Hamilton in particular, being able to install your scheme and have guys be able to be comfortable with kind of what they kind of learned on the fly last year. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity for a lot of young guys to play early and play well, and a lot of the veterans play a lot better than we saw a year ago. Yeah. I'll say one thing. I know, Curtis, you mentioned, like, you know, choosing not to to go kind of more back to, to Bud's elements once once COVID hit. That, that was going to be a hard sell because you were already – you know, mid March, you had already started your installation. Yeah. Like th- sure. there was, there's, you know, that would have been full on, you know, changing direction midstream there. So that that would have been a hard sell for your players. I feel like, um, so sure. you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. In a lot of ways, for, when it comes to that that choice that uh, Justin Hamilton had to make, it, it is, it, and it was a tough choice to make at that point in time. I mean, what what's happened essentially the last fifteen months is something potentially we'll probably never see again in our lifetime like this. And you talk about college football. If <laughs> if you don't remember, Hokies essentially finished fall camp. They were expecting a one-week break. Then we're going to play the first game. COVID breakout happens. It's pushed back multiple weeks. We're not going to see that this year. We're not going to see that this year. When Labor Day kicks off until – Thanksgiving night, as me and Brian will probably be sitting here at the computer, me staring at the television screen, six drinks deep, screaming at some <laughs> West Coast rivalry game because we decided to get on MGM bets and decided to lay 200 bucks on it because we were done. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're, it's back to a sense of normalcy. I mean, you know, and this is kind of going off topic. The full expectation is Lane's going to be full this year. A full lane stadium to me is a plus two win for Virginia Tech. There were games last year that were lost that if in lane stadium full capacity would have been wins. That's my opinion. Yeah. Are you talking about Liberty? (laughs) Yeah, I was just saying Liberty. (laughs) Well, yes, I'm talking about Liberty. Come on. I mean, because that game, it's been mentioned in – Probably everybody's heard it. There was no juice in that game. No. The guys didn't feel it. And everybody bullshitted. And everybody sat there and tried to say, and we'll, we'll go on a tangent here. Well, we would have played Liberty anyway. We would have fucking lost them. Opening fucking weekend? No. they w- We probably would have beat them by 21. Don't give yeah. me this. But they're the same team. No. Liberty played a bunch of cupcakes leading up to Virginia Tech. They were able to completely install what they wanted to do offensively. Hugh Freeze is a damn good coach. Yeah. He is a damn good coach. He will not be at Liberty next year when they go 9-3. and three. I don't know where he'll be. 
I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking hey, will he, he will be somewhere at a power five job opening weekend. That doesn't happen because he doesn't have time to fully install and know how he's going to run against Virginia Tech. I, I agree. I mean, he's not Art Bryles, right? I mean, he'll he'll find a job. He'll be all right. Yeah, definitely it's not. I mean, Just don't use the don't don't use the university uh, <laughs> yeah. phone. Like, I mean, right. here's a phone that we're issuing you. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call the uh, the escorts. That's that's what yeah. we do. I mean, he'll. <laughs> Listen, he'll he'll get a job. I mean, people are going to take a chance on Hugh Freeze. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. He's he's going to Liberty, win nine, ten games a year. I mean, he'll be he'll find a job. Lane Kiffin found a job. Like all all these guys, you know, they find jobs, man. Like it'll be it'll be all right. I mean, Art Bryles is a different situation, but um, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think this is a really important year for Virginia Tech. Obviously, I I think that. Having fans back in the stands will definitely help. I don't. I don't think you lose a game like Liberty if yeah you, know, you got full capacity. Um, I don't think it comes down to a final play that was weird and everybody calls Fuente a bad coach. I mean, to be quite honest with you, in the five years that Fuente's been in Blacksburg, um, his X's and O's, in my opinion, have been okay. Um, I, I disagree with some of the roster management stuff, yeah. but in-game situational football. By and large, in five years, I've actually been okay with, and that hasn't been the issue for me with him. It's been the recruiting. It's been the persistence to stick with your guys when you know that they're not – your guys being your staff, by the way. Yeah. Um, when you know that they may not necessarily be the people for the job. Um, the hard-headedness has bothered me a lot. Oh, as God. far as the in-game X's and O's, I've honestly been okay with um, – mm-hmm. For the most part, I, I think he's been a he's been a fine coach from that standpoint. I think he knows football. I think yeah. from that standpoint, he's a good football coach. Um, there's other stuff I worry about: the people management, the roster, you know, the roster management as well. When you extend it to actual players, and then the recruiting um, has been a problem. And college football, you're totally made by recruiting. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of good. There are a lot of just okay coaches that make their hay on recruiting and they're just good recruiters and they stick around for a long time. Fuente is not one of them. So mm-hmm. he's got to find a way to kind of remedy that. And I just don't know, again, I don't know if he's going to have the time, you know, it, it's true. And, and, but the thing is you, you talk about his recruiting, we've seen like when it leaked last year, the Norrell Pollard video from the locker room. Yeah. You remember that? Yep. When you sit here and say, dude, if you take that and let the public see it, People are going to love you. You show fire. You show passion. It's like he's one of these guys that has a probably behind closed doors has a personality that would turn on ninety five percent of people. And someone's telling him, or maybe behind the scenes in his mind, well, I can't do this. I have to do things different. Where it should be, just go be yourself. Because if you're making the players buy into you, which again we see some of those videos looks like the locker room a lot of times have bought into him. You've got to get the fans to buy into you. You've got to get the recruiting. You don't like it, that's fine. Essentially, a lot of head coaches don't like it. But what they learn to master is they learn to master the final sell. And they walk through that front door of the kid's living room and they sell it to the parents. And that's what he's got to learn. Um, My bigger thing with him, the roster management's bad. 
the coaching staff management's worse. Let his best yeah. coach go to Alabama. The day Holloman Wiggins got that call from Alabama, he should have looked at Brad Cornelson and said, you're getting a co-offensive coordinator. Holloman's going up. Yep. I'm going to pay Holloman more. Holloman was his best recruiter. And clearly we have seen a steady decline in wide receiver play since Holloman left. With the exception of blocking. Because Jafar Williams can teach some fucking blocking for his wide receiver. <laughs> his right. wide receivers block their ass off. They don't get yeah. a lot of catches. Yeah. They block their ass off. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but the other pieces, this is this goes back a long time ago, Mike. Probably when you were born, or right before you were born, when we were you and Don were pups. This is similar to 1993, and it's a place where Frank Beamer was against the wall. The AD gave him the vote of confidence. Now, Frank that year made some significant changes to his coaching staff. Yeah, and he essentially guys who had came with him, he fired. Yeah. Fuente didn't do it. Now, maybe Fuente feels maybe some things change internally on how things are done. And maybe that's what he needs. Because yeah. I'm one of these, this is the way I think probably us three as Hokie fans feel. We both called for his job last year. I called it after the Liberty game. Brian called it after the Pitt game. Like he's got to be fired. He I wrote the damn article after the Pitt game. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it was titled "It's Over." Like I it's wrote, over. It's over. We are three fans, though, who agreed at a point in 2020 he should have been fired. But we are also three fans that sit here and say, "I hope we have a good season," because it is harder to dig out from the bottom than it is to get your way back to the top. If he has a good season, we're not down to bottom. We're actually on the way back up. We have a and nine season. People can say, yeah, he's fired. Fuck him. Y'all, do y'all know how tough it's going to be to overcome the look of being under four games, 500 over the last four seasons? Yeah. Do you know how hard that is to overcome? Do you know everybody says Nick Saban in Alabama? Go look at the Alabama record leading up to when Nick Saban got there. And even his Wasn't first- that bad? Huh? It wasn't yeah. that bad. It wasn't that bad, but it still took Saban one season to get it figured out. Yeah, He was getting some studs in there. Yeah, You want to go to rock bottom, we are not the type of program that is going to have the one-year bounce to be winning 10 and 11 games again. And some people don't realize that. Some people don't study the history of Virginia Tech and don't understand until Bill Dooley got here. Jerry Claiborne was the other guy that had significant tenure that was a – really significant and successful head coach until Julie yep. got here in 79. Yeah. It took Julie till 86 to get to the Peach Bowl. And then, well, obviously everything came out that he was doing a lot of shit under table and it fucked Frank's first few years up. So don't always wish for someone to get fired because no. if it happens, it means it's going to be a bad season and it's going to take a lot of digging to get back to where we were and really where we were just four short years ago. Yeah, two two quick things. Um, the, the point you made about, you know, wanting success. I battle with people on social media because, I mean, you guys know this. But yes. I, battle with people on, <laughs> I battle with people on social media because they're like, oh, you should want Fuente to be fired because we should expect more. Yeah, we should absolutely <laughs> expect more. We should. Yes. But how do you know? How are you absolutely sure the next guy is going to be more successful than the guy we have now, right? 
And that doesn't that doesn't mean that you don't fire the guy you have now. That's not what I'm saying. You can fire him, but there's no guarantee you're going to bat a thousand when you hire the next guy. Yeah, true. so you should want the current guy to have success. And it's really hard to dig out from the bottom, Curtis. That's a great point. It's really hard to dig out when you hit rock bottom because it takes years to rebuild that culture, to rebuild that um, that trust in recruiting, that yep. you're doing the right thing, you're making the right strides. you got to want to have the coach that is in place right now to have success. You know, there are people who are negative all the time on social media, you know, talking about you know, recruiting being bad or the team being bad. Like, we can all see that, but you talking about constantly doesn't make it any better, right? Like, you got to want to have success with the guys that are there now. You got to support the staff that's there now as a fan, even if you don't believe they're the right people to lead the, lead the program. Um, that That's a huge point. And then the one other thing you mentioned, Curtis, about, you know, Beamer and, you know, in the early 90s, and he made the decision to kind of fire the guys on staff. That's kind of the problem I have with Fuente. Yes. Which, I, we're circling back. This is kind of total 180 from what I just said. Circling back to to uh, Fuente himself, the difference between Beamer and Fuente is Beamer pulled the trigger on guys he was friends with. Yes, he did. Fuente yep. hasn't done that, right? Nah. Yep. The obvious guy is Cornelson, and yep. I get he's engineered some of the highest-rated offenses in Tex history, <laughs> but it's the guy. It's 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 the plays in the middle of the game, right? It's the roster management with some of the guys that were like, you know what, they should get the ball more. Or you should start this guy at quarterback. You're a quarterback's coach, right? You should start exactly. this guy at quarterback, right? Yep. Um, it's it's that kind of stuff that bothers us with Cornelson. It's not the play design. He's, no. he's play design's good. It um, is. That's that's it's not really the problem. Good. That's not the problem. Um, and and you know, people say his play design's trash. I just you know, you discard that. Discard that. That's that's not yeah. correct, right? Discard no. it. I'll let the man. I'll let the big guy talk about. Yeah, this. we talk about yeah. this all the time. Play yeah. play design is not the problem. Play design. It's, how, it's how those plays are called, the sequencing, the yep. situational yep. calling, situation those things, and how to, as you said, how to deploy the talent you have on the offensive, your offensive weapons, how you deploy exactly. them, how you get them the ball. Exactly. Uh, I, I played for a coach at Hamden Sydney that like he had a very basketball mindset. He wanted to get the ball into the hands of his playmakers as much as possible. And I feel like we don't, we don't do that. Let's do that. Why, why don't we do that? Yeah. Why don't we do that? Um, and then the one, the one more quick thing is, um, and I kind of got off track there, but the, the one thing I wanted to finish with here is that, Fuente didn't make the decision to fire his friends. Yep. And you look at Brian Kelly at Notre Dame in 2016. They go four and eight. He fired his friends. He yep. fired everybody. And not <laughs> only did he... did he fire his friends, he fired the guys that weren't his friends. Right? Like he fired everybody. <laughs> Cleaned house. <laughs> and they've been averaging ten or eleven wins ever since. And they've been either in the college football playoff or a fringe college football playoff team. Yep. They've been a top ten team yep. in the country ever since. And Fuente's insistence on staying with the guys he's friends with could lead to his demise in my opinion yeah i agree i agree well uh mike before we wrap up we wanted to give you a little opportunity here to kind of promote anything you're working on anything you want to talk about we'll just kind of give you the floor here for a little bit yeah uh sons of saturday.com um go check it out there i 
write a lot more during football season and basketball season than I do right now in the off season, but we'll be getting a bit more into that now um, as the off season progresses a little bit. Um, basketball conference podcast, if you like ACC football, um, that's one of the podcasts I do, just covers the entire ACC, so go check that out. And then for Hokie coverage, I do have my own Virginia Tech football podcast, Hokie Hangover. Um, go check that out as well. Uh, we recorded something actually this afternoon on um, the Atuti situation and Devin Hunter returning. So um, definitely go check that out. Uh, we try to record about once a week, but the off season it's a little bit less frequent. Hey, yep, we know all too well about we that. We know that man. struggle. <laughs> Mike, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. And um, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. Along with Mike McDaniels, I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube account, where you can catch these streaming live um, when we do them. And your favorite podcast, Sports Shooting Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. If you're looking to join the Hokie Club and help relieve the Reach for Excellence campaign goal, please visit BoundaryCornerVT.com forward slash giving to get started. As always, we let our buddy from the uh, NRV close us out, Jason Long. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. As always, we thank you guys for listening. We look for your feedback. Please give us some reviews out there. And as always, Brian, Mike, let's go. Hokies. Hokies.